Jesse, seems what would, we're not. What would you have done on September the 12th, 2001? What would you have done if you'd been president? What would I have done? Yeah. I would have done a legitimate, a legitimate investigation to find out what exactly happened on 9-11. How did they know who did this so quickly like they did Lee Harvey Oswald? How quick they knew Lee Harvey Oswald well, we killed because, Kennedy. Because the people who did it were identified and we knew who they were. Well, then why couldn't we have stopped them beforehand if they were identified and we knew who it they were? It was a failure of intelligence. Everyone's accepted No, it that. wasn't. We knew before with Condoleezza Rice's memo on August 6th when it stated right in the memo, Bin Laden took steal planes and run them into buildings and more stuff is coming out now also how much the bush administration ignored the intelligence it was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen ladies and gentlemen this is a difficult moment for america uh, today we've had a national tragedy uh, two airplanes have crashed into the world trade center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and have ordered that the full resources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Nobody moves. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. Don't try to make any stupid moves. You got United 93. They got the down. Keep remaining steady. We have a United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? Because he did not land. So James, we're back again. We are. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm certainly doing better than the last time I saw you when I had a bit of a cold. Yeah, I remember. It was a difficult one. So tonight we, uh, we leave uh, the big kickoff behind on TTM Sports and we pick up the TTM Conspiracies uh, part of the show where tonight we obviously talk about 9-11. Initial thoughts on that? Initial thoughts, it's exciting actually. We've had a good time doing the sport pods. Now it's time to uh, maybe touch on something a little bit more serious possibly. Looking forward to it. So what we're going to do is literally dive into all different areas of these attacks from that horrible day uh, where we talk about the background of the Twin Towers themselves. We talk about the collapse the attacks on the Pentagon, Flight 93, Building 7, the alleged terrorists, Bin Laden and his links to the Bush family, which are well documented. And then at the end, we'll do a bit of a summary as well. And um, in the likes and um, subscriptions and the comments sections um, of the podcast, please don't be afraid to put what you think happened. First of all, we're going to kick off with a brief history of the uh, Twin Towers themselves. So, uh, James, do you want to take that one away? Yeah, so the buildings were built in 1973. It was it was uh, at a time where where New York as a city was looking for sort of a real a real showpiece building, if you like. I think it was the largest building in New York at the time, certainly the highest. So the 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 Port Authority Group of New Jersey and New York, 
they decided they decided they were going to build this thing and they looked at many sites one of them particularly uh, well known is down on the Hudson River was another was another potential site this is the one they went for right in, in Manhattan down there this was built in, in 1973 by Minoru Yamasaki, who is the architect. He came up with the specific idea for the Twin Towers. Uh, random fact on Minoru Yamasaki, he was afraid of heights. Really? Afraid of heights, and he uh, constructed some of the biggest buildings ever known to man at that particular time. So well done, uh, Minoru. It was at the time it was built, I think I think the David Rockefeller was involved in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the conception of it, certainly the idea of it. It was it was a very successful project in the end. Uh, a lot of big business in there. Incidentally, there was a, a, an initial attempt uh, bombing at the World Trade Center, which happened in 1993. This was um, actually it was it was a car bomb. It was actually in a truck. So there was a truck driven into the into the underground parking lot down in the bottom of the World Trade Center, and and six people were actually killed. Um, the intention was to bring down both towers, but but that didn't happen. So the attack was actually carried out by a guy called Ramsey Youssef. He was uh, he was made made as the ringleader for this one, and he was he was a Kuwaiti national. There's a lot of weird things going on with this one. Some FBI involvement. A guy named Ahmad Salem, who was an Egyptian fella, he was an FBI informant at the time, and he actually informed the FBI of the plot to blow up the World Trade Center. So what they did, they basically said, okay, we're going to supply you with all this equipment. You're going to go to these guys, Ramsey Youssef and his, and his associates. You're going you're gonna to help him make the bomb effectively. So the FBI, in a sense, actually formulated the plan, but the aim was for them to make uh, the bomb was going to be fake. Right, um, okay. Because in the end... It didn't turn out that way. So the FBI were aware that this was going to happen at the time. They knew there was a plot. They knew there was going to be a bombing. They even participated in certainly facilitating giving the giving the, the tools to, to carry this out. So we talk about potential FBI involvement. I do have some statistics that I've pulled up from the American people themselves as to false flag operations as if you were. For instance, did you know that in 2006, uh, a poll into the Twin Towers and those horrible events of 9-11 that we are talking about, 33% of Americans believe that it was an inside job. I can also tell you that 50% believe that Pearl Harbor was a false flag operation. They knew that the Japanese were plotting to carry out those attacks at Pearl Harbor. And for a nation to have 50% of its occupants to believe that that was an inside job smacks of real distrust yeah, in, in their government and also again with Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald the killer or alleged killer of President Kennedy over 73% believed in 2003 that this was potentially also a false flag operation and that's that's what we're talking about here potentially false flag operations you know used for political gain used to in, in improve public support for sort of military action. Touching back on the 1993 bombings, another main suspect, uh, an associate of this Ramzi Youssef, was a guy named Mohammed Salameh, and he was actually arrested in the aftermath of the 1993 bombings at the World Trade Center. He was arrested, he was then released, 
the day he was released, he just travelled back to Iraq and he was never found. Bear in mind, this is a, a main suspect for a potentially, well, six people died, potentially bringing both towers down at this stage in 1993. I mean, that's quite staggering, really. Never found. Unbelievable. <laughs> the issue was six people died, obviously. That's not not good. They wanted to get some sort of terror legislations passed through okay. Congress, stricter legislation legislation to to allow for stricter sort of harsher treatment of terror suspects. Okay. Now the the incident in 1993 wasn't enough to to get those passed. Uh, not enough people had died. Terror wasn't necessarily seen as as big a big a threat back then. This all changed obviously when you had the Oklahoma bombings. Of course. So that was the 1993 bombings. Very strange FBI involvement, suspects going back to the Middle East and never being found, potential informants, the FBI knowing it was going to happen. That, that that to me doesn't sit right, certainly from the offset. Yeah, we'll touch again on the, on the uh, CIA and FBI in uh, Building 7, some uh, other revelations uh, to come out about that. It does state that, that quite simply that there is... No smoke without fire. Fast forward to 1998. The Port Authority have decided that they, the World Trade Center as, as, a, as a facility is not really doing as well as, as they would hope. They're thinking about selling it, maybe leasing it out. They're struggling to pay the city tax. Uh, in the year 2000, they only actually managed to pay $29 million out of a $100 million bill. So right there, they're $71 million in, in debt to the city in the year 2000. So eventually, it was agreed that they would sell the World Trade Center. Obviously, mass mass bidding ensued. There was a, a lot of interest from, from obviously real estate moguls and, and the like. Eventually, it was sold to a guy named Larry Silverstein. Ever heard of the, the name Lucky Larry? Yeah, I've, I've heard this name. Uh, a real player um, is what you can really state on that. Interesting that he did take it over, and no doubt you'll fill us in why. He did. Now, Larry Silverstein actually already owned Building 7. Yeah. Now, when he, when he eventually purchased the World Trade Center in, in 2001, in April 2001, bearing in mind this is, what, five months before, before 9-11, so he already owned Building 7. Now, there was a lot of scepticism about him at the time. Was Did he have the experience to deal with a facility this large? He hadn't owned something of this, this magnitude before. He certainly had the capital. He managed to come up with that. So what he had to pay for the World Trade Center initially was a £660 million down payment with an annual rent obviously applied to that as well. You're talking about three point two billion dollars as the the actual price for the world trade center is that a year or just over that's the overall price so it was 3.2 billion dollars was his bid and that was made up of annual rent payments but a 616 million pound down payment now also part of the the deal was he was required to pay 200 million dollars worth or make 200 million dollars worth of improvements to to the facility as well, so to the World Trade Center. So at the moment, you're looking at $71 million a year, sorry, seven, yeah, $71 million a year in debt to the city in taxes alone. 
$200 million worth of improvements needed to be made to, to, to the World Trade Center. So on the face of it, you've got this mass um, focal point of, of the New York Manhattan skyline, internationally known wonder of the world, the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers. On the face of it, dig a little bit deeper into the detail and you've got actually something which is hemorrhaging money, probably a bit run down, $200 million worth of improvements required. What do you think of that? What does that say to you about the actual World Trade Center itself? Well, it's saying to me, why do we have the World Trade Centers? You know, what usually would happen to a building that's starting to become run down and derelict? What's What happens to businesses, and let's say assets, that are hemorrhaging money? You either do one or two things. You try to improve them, or you get rid of them. Yeah. I think that to be honest with you, the modernization thing that you're talking about, those pieces of moderni- modernization, uh, in the year 2000, just the year before these attacks ensued, there was the elevator modernization project. Right, okay. Um, which was a year before. Um, no doubt we'll touch later on, on the collapse and, and the causes, and the elevators then come heavily back into the spotlight. But you are right, there was um, major renovation works and modernization uh, undergoing at the World Trade Center at the time of its ultimately awful demise. Another thing to, to just to be aware of with Larry Silverstein as well, obviously owned the World Trade Center, bought in April, June of, of 2001. Upon buying the World Trade Center, he had some amendments made to the insurance policy for the World Trade Center. Ah, okay. Now, one of those amendments included the the inclusion of a, of a, of a policy which um, actually covered the buildings themselves for acts of terrorism. Bear in mind, this is June 2001. So he had a clause in his insurance policy added in to cover the buildings for the event of a terrorist attack. Is June that a- 2001. Larry Silverstein was known very famously for having breakfast in the World Trade Center every single day. Nine o'clock every day, World Trade Center, Larry Silverstein would be there. Funnily enough, on the morning of night of September the 11th, 2001, his wife had booked him a physical examination. He didn't have breakfast in, uh, in the World Trade Center on the morning of September the 11th. Very out of character, very strange. It's all starting to really start to come together a little bit here, isn't it? It doesn't look good, does it? Let's it, be honest. It doesn't look good to me, no. So... After, obviously, the terrorist, terrorist attacks, of course, Mr. Silverstein, well, he's going to be claiming on his insurance policy at the end of the day, isn't he? So he actually, instead of claiming for one terrorist attack on one facility, he claims two separate incidents, one on each building. He takes it all the way to the high courts in America, and he's awarded $4.2 million in a, in a, in a court of law in America. Four point two million or uh, four point two billion, sorry. I was gonna say, my god. He is awarded four point two billion dollars in an insurance claim against two separate terrorist attacks, one plane into the North Tower, one plane into the South Tower. Bearing in mind he's just spent three point two billion dollars on it. He's made four point two billion dollars back. He's put a six hundred and sixteen million pound down payment down, and that was probably about it. And he's made four point two billion dollars. That's that's um that's some profit. It is some profit. I mean, you've got to, again, 
you tend to try to stand back and look at it. Is it a cruel twist of fate that when he took out that insurance policy literally just a couple of months before the terrorist attacks for the insurance to include a terrorist clause? Um, was that a cruel twist of fate or was it something more sinister? I'm only looking at the facts at this stage. Yeah, I mean... That's all we can do. Yeah. Um, so that's a brief background of the World Trade Center do we have any more on that, or can we move on to the morning of September the 11th in New York City? Let, let's let's move on, let's move on. Okay, so early in the morning, midst of rush hour traffic, in the busy cosmopolitan city of New York, Manhattan, downtown, you can imagine it now. The buses whizzing past, the taxis, the yellow taxis beeping their horns, thousands of people on the streets, and you look up, when you hear a noise that you don't commonly get associated with in the city of New York, which is aeroplanes. A sound of a jetliner proceeding to slam into one of the Twin Towers. Unfortunately for those souls in that building, not only is the plane crashed into the building, it's also vaporized inside the building, and panic ensues. So from this point on, the calls obviously now start to look at the emergency services to look at exactly what on earth is happening at the World Trade Center. The news crews begin around the world to circulate on the city. And again, the second tower gets hit by another plane. And at this point, there are real issues. But you do have some information, James, uh, relating to potential explosions before any aeroplanes did in fact actually impact the buildings. Yeah, so there's multiple reports of eyewitnesses, people who were inside the basement of, of the World Trade Center, actually saying that the explosions were heard before the planes hit. Right. There's there's a clip I've seen um, on a documentary, and it's back-to-back back clips. It's just person after person after person, obviously being interviewed in the, in the immediate aftermath of, of, of the attacks. And they're being asked you know what happened and every single one of them about 15 people explosion 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 and they're all saying explosions they're not saying crash they're not saying planes they're not saying you know they're saying explosion i'm going to be honest with you here um a lot of uh first responders uh were claiming flashes and explosions yeah and this was obviously before the planes had even hit that that's a that's a hell of a statement and a hell of a claim. It is. It is to come out on. Again, why would anybody lie? Who's going to lie about that? You know, this is immediate in the immediate aftermath. At this point, nobody's even sure if it's terrorism or what. That they're literally going on impulse at this point. They've just been involved in a traumatic experience, and they're, they're saying, "Oh, it was an explosion. I heard an explosion." Yeah, right. A plane hits into a building. It's going to sound like an explosion. But these were these were people saying there were explosions before the planes hit. People in the basement. The guy was saying that uh, he watched the guy. It was an explosion. He watched one of his colleagues get thrown into a brick wall because of an explosion in the basement. It's um, it's 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 quite out outlandish, isn't it? it yeah. It's unbelievable when you consider the size of this basement. I mean. This isn't a normal one-floor basement in the World Trade Center. This was set over multiple levels. There was an underground car park. There was a, a subway station. There was a shopping precinct. And underneath that, there was the bank. 
another podcast that we could always talk about is the missing gold from the World Trade Center that day. The gold that was located in that bank was also reported as missing. Another undertone to an unbelievable day. Obviously what happens from here is the unthinkable happens when the second plane slams into the building, almost slices it in half, straight through the middle. The plane, I think, actually makes it through the other side. A horrendous thing to witness. What I can always remember as a young child watching this was just shock. The first the first plane had hit, my father had Sky News on. When the second plane hit, one word circulated around the world, beginning with T and ending with M. And that was terrorism. Yeah. Um, there's absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. The buildings then collapse. When these buildings collapse, they collapse in a way that's caused debate. For now 19 years, a huge debate is infused of whether was this a controlled demolition or did they just fall down in that effect? The official explanation is that the, is the buildings were fell due to fire. Fire from the jet fuel... I mean, there was the fire was burning in the buildings for about what it was like a, a forty-five minutes or something like that before the building, the first building fell. So what the theory is is that the, the jet fuel caused these, these intense fires, the that then melted the steel columns that go up through the middle of the building. Yeah, you're right. Um, on March the twenty-ninth, two thousand and nine, uh, some investigators undertook a rough cut test in New Mexico, where they concluded that the temperature for jet fuel to start melting these steel columns enough to weaken them for the buildings to collapse had to be at 26,000 degrees. Now, what I can tell you is that the temperature at the World Trade Center wasn't 26,000 degrees. So straight away, there's an anomaly right there that it wasn't at 26,000 degrees. However, during this rough cut test, they did actually get a piece of smaller metal and then heated it up to around 20,000, I believe. And within 3.5 seconds, you had a complete structural failure. So when your mind starts to take you to, this is a conspiracy theory, this is is absolutely outrageous, they've done this to their own people, something then pulls you back towards the, you know, the arc of normality to say, look, this is a genuine terrorist attack. What I want to talk about is how they they actually found pools there were pools of molten metal after the event with all the materials involved it wasn't possible for so the materials involved i'm talking the steel the jet fuel the concrete it wasn't possible for there to be more than a temperature of more than 800 degrees unless there was obviously some outside involvement of a different chemicals and materials which were not actually officially stated to be involved. Now there were molten me- there was molten metal found at fifteen thousand uh, fifteen hundred degrees found in the rubble. Now some of these pools of, of molten metal were found up to five weeks after nine eleven. So you're talking five weeks after the buildings fell, fifteen hundred so one thousand five hundred degrees pools of molten metal. You're absolutely right. It is the longest burning structural fall in history. December the 13th, it finally went out, which was over three months after the attacks. Conspiracy theorists have uh, pointed to the potential use of a chemical known as uh, thermite, 
Correct. Super nanothermite is the thing that's coming up. So thermite is used in controlled demolitions, typically, with the way that the, the buildings fell. Almost in free fall, pancake effect, floor after floor after floor, bang, 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 bang. Almost like a controlled demolition. Now, thermite would be used in this sort of scenario to cut the columns. Yes. So imagine the metal columns going up through the building, supporting it. I mean, if the buildings fell due to fire, what you should have been left with was obviously all the concrete and everything else would have fallen. And then you should really have been left with all these columns just still up there? Yeah, so if you can imagine it in your mind, you'd be looking um, at the destruction of a building where the centre columns would still be partially standing and the concrete around the building yeah. would have fallen around it. Because obviously the, the temperatures wouldn't have been hot enough to melt the steel. Exactly, and it's been found that the temperature wasn't hot enough to actually ensure that these buildings would have actually melted. What I can tell you also is a lot of conspiracy theories state that a lot of debunkers state that it would have been absolutely impossible to get this super thermite onto the steel beams. What I can tell you is was something I alluded to earlier on, which was the elevator modernization. Yeah, exactly. And that is where they would get the access to these steel columns and steel beams. Now, again, back to this rough cut test in, in 2009 in New Mexico, um, they did, uh, the debunkers is what they were called, they did do a test, and this time they used normal therm thermite, and they also used nanothermite. Can you tell me why they couldn't get hold of the super thermite? Well, there's a reason why you can't get hold of the super thermite. It's a military-grade explosive it's a military grade yeah, tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah if this was an inside job they would have had to have used military grade style things because there was no residue allegedly found after the towers had collapsed in the rubble what i can tell you a hangar 17 at jfk um is a hangar where they keep all of the rubble all of the metal columns, all of the busted fire engines, the taxis, the police cars, everything that you can think of was all transported there after the initial event. One crazy theory that has been mooted was the CIA and FBI actually confiscated over 200 steel beams from this Hangar 17 and then in inverted commas replaced these 200 steel beams back at the hangar and they used them for investigative purposes. Um, that, to me, says that, well, look, could these be the steel frames and the steel that could be in question due to this super thermite? What I'm inclined to believe, they used this thermite prior to the attacks. It would have been somehow inserted into the, into the building, possibly due to the elevator reconstruction. They would have inserted the, this thermite in in order to allow for, for, the, for the columns to be cut now if you see a typical demolition you'll see uh, di diagonally cut columns so cut in a certain way so that as the the building as the the um as the metal begins to collapse it will then slide over like a exactly. tectonic plate exactly now thermite is used for creating extremely hot temperatures in a controlled area such as in, in controlled demolition so it's a it's a typical it's a typical feature of a controlled demolition is, is the use of these sort of, uh, of, of things, chemi chemicals.
what I can say is that the first link to George Bush now arrives. A lot of people will say, how on earth would these people get this explosives through security after the 1993 attack obviously security was massively heightened at the world trade center well what i can tell you is that george bush's cousin was in charge of security of the world trade center less than three months before its ultimately destruction destructive state george bush's cousin was in charge of security at the world trade center less than three months before these towers fell so if you're looking for any sort of way into the buildings, well, there it is right there, isn't it? That's a, that's a fact. That happened. These facts and anomalies still keep popping up, and, and we will allude to more of them as we go through the pod. That's right. One, one final thing on the World, on the world Trade Center as well. A World Trade Center structural engineer by the name of Les Robertson is actually on record as saying that the building was designed specifically to be able to take the impact of multiple Boeing 747 planes at any location. I've heard this before on a memorial video right. um, that, that uh, CNN undertook for the Twin Towers. Um, what I can tell you, just a quick one on thermite, in its common form, you get the common sparkler that you would get as a child. Yeah. It would spark up and you'd write your name in the darkness from the sparkler. Super thermite can also be painted onto steel beams. Okay. But do you want to know a real, real, real issue that I've got? Was this wasn't investigated during the 9-11 commission? No, it wasn't mentioned at all. Neither were the pools of molten metal. And that's where you get the first issue. So, ultimate conclusion from me, was it a controlled demolition? I, I don't know. And, and I'm still 50-50. I mean, people at home listening to the podcast, you know, you could be thinking to yourself right now, well, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there was. But there's also a hell of a lot of evidence to suggest that it wasn't. It would have had to have been one of the greatest ever deceptions of a nation in the world's history. It would have absolutely been undertaken flawlessly. Thousands of people would have had to have been involved in this. What I can tell you is that those buildings, I would think in my mind, when you see a building collapse in New York, would fall onto other buildings and create maybe a domino effect. Uh, of other buildings hitting into each other and falling all over. The way those two buildings went down was um, outrageous. And when we talk on building number seven later, that's what sways my mind back to it. Could have actually been indeed a controlled demolition. James, what's your initial thoughts on that collapse of the towers then? I think the, the way they fell, I mean, they fell at a rate of 10 stories, 10 floors per second. That's right. Due to fire? I know they got hit by a plane, but officially, the official account of, of what happened and the, and the cause of them falling is fire. Jet fuel induced fires. I'm sorry, but there have been fires in skyscrapers before, there have been fires in large buildings before, and yeah, they have fallen. Buildings have fallen. Particularly, you think about the was it the hotel in Dubai or Dubai or Bombay, or, and there was a large fire there, and the building did eventually fall, or parts of it did fall. Parts but of the it building, fell in Dubai. A building doesn't just fall like that, bang, 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 like a. It did. Like, it was a like, bang, like, bang, like bang, 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 Yep. You know, ten, ten stories, ten floors per second, almost falling at free fall speed. It's, it's as if somebody's just 
press the button pulled it pulled the building yeah the thing that that, that gets me whenever i see those people that they call them the jumpers that, that jumped out the building how bad must it have been when you can consider your only way out is to jump it it, it must be an absolutely horrific decision tragic. do you stay and get i mean do you take the smoke and hope you become infused by the flames or do you be crushed or do you jump from the building it's a horrible situation and i i can only send my deepest condolences to all the families and for the people that suffered on that terrible day yeah and i don't want it to be confused like obviously we're debating the 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 where's the why's the how's of all of this by no means are we saying that this isn't a tragic event by no means are we saying that this isn't you know one of the darkest days in world history and it was it is, wasn't it and it is it is one of the it, darkest it, and days. it will be forever it, it's absolutely appalling it's um it's it, the biggest tragedy of of my lifetime same worldwide you know as an international event but that doesn't mean that we have to accept what's been said to us by people who we're supposed have a lot to, trust. to gain from these things happening. We now move on to the Pentagon. That day on September the 11th, uh, 2001, wasn't just the Twin Towers. There was also multiple incidents. The Pentagon, one of the most heavily defended uh, military installations in the world, America's hub for their armed forces, was again supposedly hit by an airliner. Only one CCTV camera can ever uh, pick up any sort of imagery for us to look at. James, what's your initial thoughts on what happened there? Jetliner, cruise missile, bomb? The, the Pentagon is, is, is a strange one because as far as I can tell, other than being told by the official 9-11 commission, there's really no evidence that a plane was ever there. There's no evidence that it was possible to even perform this sort of manoeuvre. Bear in mind we're talking about amateur pilot, hijackers, members of a terrorist organisation. We're not talking about Air Force pilots. We're not talking about the, the Red Arrows. We're talking about amateur pilots who have learned to fly planes at a very amateur level. I'm going to tell you a fact. The person that flew the plane into the Pentagon, learned how to fly a Microsoft Windows 98 simulator, flight simulator. A bag was found at the airport with a how-to-fly manual yeah, inside yeah. a backpack. How is this guy supposed to fly hundreds of miles from the airport into the Pentagon, and you're going to tell me that it had to undertake a crazy manoeuvre to, 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 uh, to hit the Pentagon itself? What manoeuvre was that? The, man the manoeuvre he would have had to have performed, this is according to a... Um American Air Force pilot would have had to have performed a 270 degree downward spiral in order to put himself in position to hit the Pentagon in the position where it was allegedly hit. 270 degree angle. That is unbelievable. In a commercial airliner. In a, in, you in know, a commercial in a, airliner. You know, we're not talking about in a, in a red arrow. We're talking about in a commercial airliner. I mean... There's probably pilots that, that will fly planes of all shapes and sizes for their whole careers that wouldn't even dream of attempting that sort of manoeuvre. 
And then again, we're talking about an amateur pilot here. If he's done that, right, uh, I just can't see it as being of a be- of a, of a believable statement for, for a, a, an amateur pilot, yet alone, as you say, an experienced pilot to do a whatever it was, loop the loop, uh, fly it two meters off the ground into the building. And some more facts on it. No physical evidence of an airliner was found at the Pentagon. No wreckage with a positive serial number was found at the Pentagon. Maneuvers from this pilot were indeed questionable. No tail, no wing imprint. Pictures seem to show material blowing out of the building rather than going into the building, suggesting that it could have been a missile, it could have been a cruise missile. One, one thing that, that comes out from the commission report was that this plane vaporized on impact, where the pilots would have been situated and found at the outer ring of the Pentagon, and then the passengers all pushed through to the inner ring. Yeah, this these particular air, aircraft as well, they ran on two Rolls-Royce engines made of steel and titanium. It's scientifically impossible for 12 tons of steel and titanium to vaporize. It's not possible on impact. No sign of it. But but then they they but they did also discover DNA and fingerprints. So you're telling me 12 tons of steel and titanium vaporizes with no trace of it whatsoever, but DNA and fingerprints survived. There's a lot of unanswered questions here, and a lot of things are not adding up. Where you look at the uh rendering where the people at the University of Purdue undertook a two-year study to complete uh, a full render of not only the Twin Towers but also the Pentagon as well and they concluded that uh, that indeed it, it was a terrorist attack. Now these people could have been put up to it but what, what one thing that doesn't add up is on a lot of images that you see the whole of the Pentagon doesn't actually matter, match up to the size of the aircraft that was supposedly hitting the building. What you were going to get is a long tube which creates a hole. Yeah. But they're missing one crucial element. The wings. Yeah, the wings. Another another strange thing about the Pentagon situation. The next day, CIA agents gathered any debris from the lawn in front of the Pentagon where, where, the, where the plane is allegedly hit. This didn't become a major crime scene. This didn't go through a thorough investigation. This didn't go through forensics. No. They dumped dirt, sand, gravel, mud over the entire lawn to quite literally cover it up. So you're saying that even now there could still be potential um, items of interest under the lawn? Potentially, potentially. Yet it also states no uh, physical evidence of an airliner was found. So what they're going to be covering up was just surely debris coming out of this. Debris. Is it a bomb? I I mean, I'm thinking the CCTV image that we've all seen on YouTube, we've all saw on TV programs, is a grainy image of, again, one of the most heavily defended, fortified military installations in the world with one CCTV camera. Come on. Yeah, I know. There, there is allegedly other CCTV footage which well, was immediately confiscated by the FBI, and it to this day remains at the Department of Justice. And Why? And they refuse to release it. Yeah, and and that's the question that the families want answered. That's the question that we want answered. That everybody wants answered is where are they? Where are the CCTV images? Why will they not release them? I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. 
the Pentagon uh, final word from me is I genuinely think that's a more conclusive terror attack than the Twin Towers for me. I think that's um a, I think that's a dead cert. I am ninety percent sure that that was that that was done by by the FBI or the CIA themselves. I believe that happened. You can call me crazy, call me wild, wacky, you whatever you like. think a false flag operation? I believe that that is more believable than what happened in New York City. Going back over to New York City, building number seven, Jesse Ventura went on to the Piers Morgan show in America when Piers was over there to, do, to really uh, have a debate on what happened on 9-11, and he believes it was a false flag operation. Former governor of Minnesota, may I add, and, and what I will say is that Jesse clearly states that uh, this was an inside job, and he also says that the, the BBC conducted a pre-broadcast in New York City claiming that building number seven had indeed collapsed. But here's the here's the curveball. As that broadcast is being recorded, the building is behind her and it's still standing. It's not collapsed yet. And then guess what happens later? The building collapses in a perfect, perfect pancake defect as the Twin Towers did. Now, this wasn't hit by any airliner. This wasn't hit by any fire. How how, how on earth could that happen? Do you have any information on that, James? Well, the, the, the Building 7, again, the, the official word is that it fell due to fire owing to the debris falling from the, the fall of the, the building, the, well, the, the North and South Tower. That's the official line. Again, much like the Twin Towers, Molten metal was found underneath in the rubble. Bear in mind this building was 47 stories high and it only had fire on two or three floors. That's not right. I mean, straight away you would find, um, like we mentioned about the Twin Towers, you would find that that would have been a partial collapse. You know, is it any significance that the tenants of this building were the CIA and FBI? That, that building could have been saved. I don't care. And who, and who owned this building again? It, it was Larry Silverstein. Ah, that name for the second time now. So he already actually owned this building. I mean, uh, an outlandish theory I've sort of heard before is that they they kind of used Building 7 as a bit of a control room. Call me crazy. I'm not saying I believe this. This is just a theory that I've heard. They used Building 7 as a control room for the controlled demolition of the Twin Towers. So the North and South Tower... Once, obviously, the Twin Towers had fallen, they needed a way in which to conceal all the evidence. They pulled the building like a controlled demolition. Now, what we do have to say is these views are of our own velocity. We're not stating that this is fact. This is purely a conspiracy theory and a disclaimer that, that needs to be brought out. Again, what we will also say is there is another string attached to this god-awful day, which was Flight 93. Another flight that was allegedly headed back into Washington to the to the biggest building of them all was the White House. Audio has emerged from this flight where there was panic from the passengers, where one of the one of the passengers screams down the phone at, at, at an operator saying, "We're all going to die in here." So clearly there was a hijacking, no doubt about that whatsoever. And that building then falls. It falls. It crashes into the ground. But again, another anomaly. Uh, but again, there is another problem. Vaporizing on impact with no debris. 
And wasn't it over six miles? There were two separate crash sites. H- six how? Miles apart. Yeah. I'm no expert on plane crashes, believe me. This is obviously in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. But yeah, it took two miles apart, and all there was was just a, a weird sort of blast crater. No real evidence of a plane, just a couple of blast craters, six miles apart. I don't know an awful lot about that particular incident, but I just know that, and that to me is odd. I think it's, um, again, outrageous. There is actually a couple of films released about Flight 93, really good film where the passengers retook control of the flight, but unfortunately for the passengers, there was no pilots. So, you know, obviously our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims of that one there. Moving on to the alleged terrorists, we're going to give a quick segment to the alleged terrorists. James, take it away. So, with regards to the terrorists, obviously the main one everybody hears about is Osama bin Laden. Who was responsible for 9-11, you, you ask? Well, it was Al-Qaeda. That's, that's the general answer you get back from people, isn't it? Yes. It was Al-Qaeda. It was Osama bin Laden. It was Al-Qaeda. Correct. There's also a theory that there was no prior warning. There was no prior warning. It was without warning. In the days after 9-11, Condoleezza Rice, George Bush, Mr. Dick Cheney, they all came out and said there was no warning. Not true. Two years prior, in the years leading up to 9-11, NORAD, which is a North American... Air defense. Air defense. Yep. They actually ran training drills to deal specifically with the potential of planes being hijacked. And one of the targets they used as part of their training exercise was the World Trade Center. A part of Operation Moscow 2000, they simulated planes flying into the Pentagon. It's all a bit too, federal, too close for comfort. It is. The Federal Aviation Administration received 52 separate warnings about Al-Qaeda in the six months leading up to 9-11. At least 12 separate countries warned the U.S. over... They warned the U.S. of intelligence uh, acquired of an imminent attack on America, including British intelligence, Italian, and these were all uh, raised as concern to America at the Geneva summit. So you believe that these were potentially just damn right overlooked by, yes. by the American government? Bearing in mind Condoleezza Rice, George Bush, Dick Cheney, and the days after said there was no warning. There was a warning. There was a warning. There was warning. There was multiple warnings. Exactly. So, if the, so the 19 hijackers then, you've got... Mohammed, Mohammed Atta, he's known as the ringleader. Just to go a bit deeper, all very strange. There's a guy named Mohammed Ahmad. He requested that 100,000 US dollars. So Mohammed Ahmad, he's the head of the ISI, which is the Pakistan uh, Secret Service. So it's the equivalent of the FBI in Pakistan. Okay, yeah. He requested that 100,000 dollars was wired to Mohammed Atta, Mohammed Atta being the ringleader. In, in, the, in the days leading up to 9-11. Why would he do that? No inquiry was ever made into why this was done. The 9-11 Commission, they never even investigated it. And, and the official quote from the 9-11 Commission was, it was deemed financing of the attacks of little practical significance to the, to the investigation. Well, I think a significance is huge. It, it's, it's massive. And just as, as a final little point on that one. On the morning of 9-11, Mohammed Ahmed, bearing in mind he's the head of the ISI, ISI, the Pakistan 
Secret Service. Where was uh, Osama bin Laden found, by the way, when they found him eventually? He was in Hyderabad in Pakistan. He was in Pakistan. On the morning of 9-11, Mohammed Ahmed, he was having breakfast with government officials in Washington. That's outrageous. This is the man who requested for $100,000 to be wired to Mohammed Attar, who was the alleged ringleader of the 9-11 attacks. They've obviously been highly unlucky with the way things have lined up, or incredibly, incredibly stupid as to make it that obvious. I mean, they do say when you're trying to cover something up or you're trying to hide something, what do you do? Hiding in plain sight. Exactly. And is that what they've tried to do? But it doesn't look good, does it? $100,000 wired to the ringleader of the potential 9-11 attacks and you're sat there having breakfast in Washington on the morning of September the 11th. I know, it's it's incredible. It is incredible. There's also been lots of talk about planting of evidence, so allegedly there were passports found in the rubble of so-called hijackers. Several of the nine, so the official 19 hijackers, everybody's seen the pictures, haven't they? You know, as on the front of every newspaper yeah, get, in the world in the days after you them, get that 19 one. hijackers. There's one that sticks out for me. That, that's Mohammed Attar. The one with the bags under his eyes, is yeah, the eyes. That's is this the man who says... Uh, we have some planes, everybody yes, stay calm, him. we're returning to the airport. So, so he's the guy who received $100,000 from Mahmoud Ahmed, who was having breakfast with government officials in Washington on the day. Out of the 19 hijackers, at least seven of them are still alive. The FBI to this day has not revised its list to take out those seven who are still alive. So seven... Hold on a minute. So for the listeners and the viewers... You're stating that seven, seven of the hijackers are still alive and the FBI refused to take them off of the list. Yes. Yeah, so this is unreal. There's, there's a guy called Abdulaziz Al-Omari who was officially named as one of the 19 hijackers. There's a direct quote from him. He's still alive. And this is a direct quote. I'm still alive. I have no idea how to fly a plane. Well, He's still he? on the official list. But the thing is... He's alive. The, the, the thing is, although that's a, an unbelievable quote, is it exactly that? Is it unbelievable? Why has he never come out to the world's press? Has he been paid off? Is he Who controls the world's press? Rupert Murdoch. Who's going who's gonna to publish that interview? You would find that the only way to publish something like that would be through an unofficial media outlet exactly. that may get closed down before it exactly. hits. But, but, but if that me, was to ever come, if that was ever to be found, it would never see the light of day. It's still... It's still a highly controversial claim. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So at least five, at least five of the hijackers of these nineteen hijackers, at least five of them are reported to have have direct links to U.S. military institutions as well themselves. The main one, though, everybody knows Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden is of Saudi Arabian descent. Yeah. He's actually from a very rich family in Saudi Arabia. They were. They were uh, made their fortune in construction in, in Saudi Arabia. And they're, they're one of few non-royal, high-society elite families in, in Saudi Arabia. Okay. So obviously you, you have all the sheikhs over there. They weren't actually born into royalty. His father made a lot of money from construction. So they're very rich out there. Now in January of 2001... The FBI were ordered to back off when investigating the Bin Laden family. Uh, Osama Bin Laden has two relatives who were living in Falls Church, Virginia, 
Falls Church, Virginia is nine miles away from CIA headquarters. While he was on America's most wanted list, so he was America's most wanted criminal, he spent two weeks at the US hospital in Dubai and he was visited by a local CIA agent. This is all too, uh, too close to home. And there's also no evidence at all linking Osama bin Laden to any planning of 9-11. Not a single shred of evidence. They claim that there was no... <laughs> they claim there was no evidence needed to um, convict him because... Well, because they went to Afghanistan and they found a tape of him <laughs> confessing to 9-11. I think that's outrageous. That's so they went to Afghanistan, they happened to find a tape of him saying that he did 9-11. Also, the, the actual translation of the tape has been heavily, heavily challenged by actual people who speak Arabic. That's very strange. So there's a guy, he is Osama bin Laden's brother. His name was Salim bin Laden. Salim bin Laden was a close personal friend of Herbert George Herbert Walker Bush, so George W. Bush's father, former president, as well, they and were close also friends. head of the CIA. Yeah, so they were close friends. Herbert Walker Bush was involved in business ventures with Salim bin Laden. Now, Salim bin Laden, when he started doing major investments in the U.S. into businesses and property and that sort of thing, he engaged a man called uh, Jim Bath to handle all of his investments in the in the in the US on behalf of the Bin Laden family. Jim Bath is a close friend of George W. Bush and they were former guard pilots together in the US Air Force. It doesn't stop there. There is, more. there is a company called the Carlisle Group. The Carlisle Group, they use George Bush Sr. as sort of a bit of a figurehead. He, he's heavily involved in the Carlisle Group. They're an investment, they're an investment firm. George Bush Sr. is known to have travelled to Saudi Arabia in 1998 and in the year 2000 specifically to meet with the Bin Laden family on behalf of the Carlisle Group. Now, on the morning of 9-11, the Carlisle Group are holding a conference in Washington in attendance Osama Bin Laden's brother. Salim. Exactly. And this Carlisle Group they have links to the world's largest defense contractors. What's the best if you're if you're the world's largest defense contractor? What's the best thing that could happen to your business? To be the main provider of military hardware to the biggest military in the world, which is so the what United you need States to of America. What do you need to happen? You need if a war to happen. You need a war to happen. Exactly. That's some interesting bits there on Bin Laden. He's not just some random guy which we were all led to believe at the time, oh my God, who's this guy that lives in Afghanistan? He wants to hurt everyone. Because as, as kids, when this all happened, that's what we were led to believe. Yeah, of course, they were calling him Osama Bin Liner. I remember at school, this guy wanted to take us out. Um, he was already on the FBI's um, most wanted list before 9-11. He was already known to American oh, yeah. authorities. Well, you know, what, what we will say, just to briefly summarize it, there was links between the Bush administration, the Bush's father to the Bin Laden family, which is all a bit close to home. I mean, think about it. The president of one of the biggest military powers, superpowers in the world, is very, very close business partners and friends with someone who has instigated the biggest 
international terror attack in the history of the world. You couldn't write it, you couldn't even make it up. What we will do to summarize, I mean, we've been through nearly all of it. We could probably do another podcast and talk about it all day. As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying my conclusion. I believe that the powers of the United States of America and authority knew that this was going to happen. And I think they let it happen. I think the how the slow response from the F-16 fighter pilots, everything. I, I just believe that there needs to be subpoenas actioned and reopen the 9-11 Commission and reinvestigate exactly what happened on this day because there's too many unanswered questions and I believe that they let it happen. Another false flag operation to go to war. James, what do you think happened? Just, just to touch again on the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission didn't even mention Building 7. At all. Outrageous again. The 9-11 Commission, they ordered George W. Bush and Dick Cheney to appear uh, separately. They declined. They only agreed to appear at the 9-11 Commission under very strict terms of their own. One of those was that they appeared together despite the request that they, they um, appeared separately. One of the requests was that they were not under oath. Why? Not under oath. I don't know why. No press or family members were allowed to be present. And no recording of any kind was to take place during the 9-11 investigation when Bush and Cheney were being questioned. Who was the head of the 9-11 commission, James? I don't know. It was a guy named Philip Zelikov. And he is a close friend of Condoleezza Rice. And he headed it all up. It seems to be uh, an inside investigation from the alleged inside jobbers, really. I mean, for me, do you, th- do you think it's an inside job then, James? It's, it's very hard to say. There's so, there's so much to unpack, and I don't think we've even really touched the surface of it. No. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to 9-11. If you go down that rabbit hole... You may never re-emerge. You may never know what you're going to sort of find. Mm. And depending on where you look, it can take you down different paths. It's one of those things, really, 9-11, and I always say to people, because I've, I've been aware of a lot of these conspiracy theories for a long time, over a decade now. And, and then people say to me, oh, why, why do you think it? Why do you think this? And you can't. You can't just explain to somebody. You can't just go, oh, well, because this happened, or because this happened, because individually these things are not enough. You have to unpack the whole thing. You have to do your own research. You have to go down that rabbit hole yourself if you're willing to be open-minded about it. Because it's very easy to say to somebody, well, 9-11 was Al-Qaeda. 9-11 was an inside job. You can't be so firm on each side you have to do your own research is the main thing that i would say the more you look the more you'll find me personally i think uh, an environment was created at the time where this situation benefited a lot of people it benefited the bush administration it benefited companies like the carlisle group who were massive investors in uh, military equipment companies it 
it benefited probably the Bin Laden family, it benefited Larry Silverstein, ultimately it benefited American interests in the Middle East. It's 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 very difficult. I, it's the whole thing so shady. You you could argue and say it's the back door to war. I think. Um, look, we invite our listeners to really comment underneath uh, on on the comments page of our YouTube page when this goes uh, live um, to tell us what you think and any other things that you think we should be looking into. Uh, one thing that we do have to mention as well: uh, glamour and goosebumps to our. People who, and our listeners who wouldn't know what that is, we, we have Kelsey, an American in Dallas, in Texas, uh, that has agreed to do another podcast with us. Um, another one in the TTM conspiracy segment, we have the alleged abduction of Travis Walton. A film called Fire in the Sky was dedicated to this abduction. Kelsey is a makeup artist and also YouTuber. That, that applies makeup and also tells these conspiracy theories. Catch her link in the bio of this video um, and just keep a lookout for that one. That'll be a really, really, really good cross-promotional video where we discuss the disappearance of Travis Walton and more on the TTM podcast. We're going to leave you with two inspirational quotes from two former US presidents. The first one is this. Our enemies have made the mistake that America's enemies always make. They saw liberty and thought they saw weakness. President George H.W. Bush America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. President Abraham Lincoln Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is available on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcast. Also available on YouTube. All major social networks are covered by the podcast. Just search TTM Pods. James Hounsell, thank you very much for being another another great host on our show. Thank you very much for your time. Have you enjoyed this podcast? Yeah, yeah it's it's a subject that I always like to get into. I think I think I'd, we we should revisit it. I think there's a lot more to touch on. I, I think we've only just scraped the surface on that. If the if the demand is there, we will go deeper. Yeah, we could do an episode directly on the hijackers. We could do uh, the episode into the nine eleven commission report. I mean, live on the podcast, we're discussing what we could potentially do next. What I will say is, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning into the TTM podcast, and we are out. <laughs>